I'm here with Lisa Larson, who is a licensed associate real estate broker with Warburg Realty in Manhattan in New York. And Lisa is here to um, explain to us and uh, give us some uh, insight in the real estate market in Manhattan, uh, a market which is uh, both um, infuriating as well as fascinating. <laughs> For everyone who's uh, a potential buyer or seller or even a, a casual observer. Um, so Lisa, let me start by asking you, um, how is the market looking today uh, in terms of the various metrics? Okay, well I thought it would be, everybody likes to know where we ended up at the end of the prior year. So I thought it would be first interesting to look at where 2014 stacked up, um, both compared to the prior year and also to put the, some of those numbers into historical context. Traditionally, we measure the market by looking at things like sales price, inventory, sales volume. There's certainly other ways to measure the market, and I'll, I'll discuss a few of those as well. To start with the numbers, so two of the three price indicators posted record gains in 2014. And while certainly record prices are a sign of a healthy market, these numbers are also skewed by the higher-end product that's been hitting our market. So the average sales price in Manhattan cracked 1.7 million in 2014, rising 19% to 1,718,000 from the prior year, and that was a new 26-year record. Average price per square foot for condos increased 14.2% to 1,297 feet uh, price per foot over the same period, also a new record. Obviously, that's been very much skewed by the higher end product, and sure. a lot of those, a lot of the price, the sales that closed in some of the, in many of the new development projects, those contracts were actually signed two or three years ago. So, in some num ways, that number is a sign of what the market was like two or three years ago. Median sales price increased 9.9 percent to 940,000, which was 1.6 percent below the $955,000 record set in the second quarter of 2008 before the financial crisis. We should note, though, that as of today, that median sales price has ticked up to 975,000, which surpasses that 2008 record by 1.2 percent. So all the reprices. Let, let me stop you here because mm -hmm. you sent me some of these figures, um, you know, before we we sat down to talk, and I was I was uh, surprised and very interested in the fact that the average sales price and the median sales price uh, show a significant difference. You know, you just said that the average sales price in 2014 in Manhattan was 1.7 million. And the median sales price was nine hundred and forty thousand. It's it's gone up a bit uh, in the last few months, but for two thousand fourteen, it was nine hundred and forty thousand. So this suggests that there's a significant, um, I don't know if you can call it that, more kind of a, like a pull from um, you know luxury property that, that's that's pulled up the average price versus the median. I mean, I wonder I wonder if that gap has has being this wide before because you're, you're looking at almost double the, no. the, the price for, for the average versus the median. Ab absolutely. I mean, the, the gap has never been so large and I expect the gap to continue as more contracts get, uh, as more sales close on these higher end new development right. projects. I mean, we had the hundred million, we have a hundred million dollar sale. We have several other huge sales mm -hmm. that are 
going to skew those numbers. And a large the number of new uh, kind of uh, <clears throat> luxury or ultra ultra luxury even mm-hmm. uh, new properties coming up. Yes, yes, okay. a lot. I mean, you know, downtown thing, alone, even even if we're we're not even talking about the tall towers that everybody wants to talk about, we have over 35 properties downtown alone that are sitting at over $20 million right now on the market condos. So, and that that's, is that's definitely going to be skewing the, the, the number. Before we uh, got together, I looked up the, um, you know, some metrics for different cities because I thought it would be useful to compare New York to other places in the country. And you have the uh, S&P Case-Shiller Index, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, which, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, shows... Um, uh, as a composite of 20 different cities across the U.S. And uh, in the case of New York, uh, the index in May 2006, which was the, the last high, was at 215, 215. You know, it's a, it's a kind of a, a nominal index, which, um, you know, that number is valuable to us only in, in, uh, to use as a comparison versus today. And, and uh, in January, so three months ago, it was at 175. So... Um, I think what you're saying is that while Manhattan has uh, done uh, very well and it has seen uh, prices that exceeded the, the last high of 2006, when we look at all of the five boroughs, you know, New York in general, the metro area, we're still um, about uh, 20% lower than uh, in terms of prices uh-huh. than we were at the high of 2006. Uh-huh. Um, and that's uh, that's not atypical of the uh, 20 cities that are tracked by Case Shiller. Uh, in fact, there are only very few where the price today uh, within that index, very few cities where the price uh, within that index has exceeded the, the 2006 high. And they're uh, Dallas, Denver. Uh, we can also talk about Houston. Houston is not in the in their 20 city index, but Prices in Houston have been very strong due to the energy boom. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm, I'm only inserting this at this point to highlight the case that um, Manhattan really stands out, not, not only nationally, but uh, within the New York metro area as, as, as being um, surprisingly strong. Absolutely, yes. <clears throat> I mean, we, we benefit from a large influx of foreign money as well. Right. Um, and, Inter- we, we weren't affected that much by the downturn in terms of we didn't, you know, we didn't have foreclosures on a lot of properties. Most of our housing stock is still co-ops and co-op boards themselves require much more money down than banks did, especially in the, in, in, you know, before the recession. Right. But even now, um, there's just and, much stricter standards. And, and the co-op market, even though it's, uh, it's, it's today less prominent, than uh, 20 or 30 years ago, it's still, what, 60% of, of the market? Yes, today we stand, it's at 60.2%. Okay. Back in 1989, it was at 70.7%. Okay. So it basically shifted from, the shift is fully into the, the condo market. Right. Um, condo market was, is now at 39.8% of the market, which is up from the 29.3% it was back in 1989. So, you know, we're shifting with, we, ne- okay. we didn't have condos in Manhattan like mm-hmm. we do today, and there'll be more. And it's interesting to kind of try to explain that, that shift to, to condos, you know, whether, um, you know, people have been more drawn to condos because foreign money maybe finds it more easy, you know, easier to invest in a condo property than a co-op. 
or whether there are other factors at play as well. But that's uh, well, you know, it, I can touch on it a little bit right now. I mean, it really depends which condos you're talking about. If you're talking about the super tall towers, people buying, you know, the thirty, forty, fifty million dollar properties, that's more likely the going to be the foreign buyers. Right. But regular New Yorkers are buying condos in the five to ten million dollar range. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and it is it are those it are those it is those people that are passing up the big, large co-ops on Fifth and, and Park for a condo that's brand new. You don't have to hassle with the co-op board. You don't have to, have, you don't have to renovate. Right. Um, and it just it makes a lot of sense. And there's also, there's, New Yorkers now have, are less tied to living on Park and Fifth. There still mm-hmm. will be people, and, mm-hmm. and if you want a pre-war apartment, you most likely sure. need to buy a co-op. But there are a lot of people for whom a condo with no rules, brand new finishes, mm-hmm. you know, space, floor plans that are as they live now, right. so they don't need to change any floor mm-hmm. plans, are very, very sure. compelling. I mean, there's always a uh, part of the market that's attracted to the new. Yes. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's something for everyone. You know, at the other end of the spectrum, somebody may want, uh, you know, a fixer-upper, so to speak, uh, where where they capture the kind of uh, the charm of another era in a, in a way. Yeah, and not too many people <clears throat> want that right now, unless yeah. it's priced well. If it's priced well, we have it. I mean, that's one of the few air, the few marked submarkets right now where we have seen an increase in supply. It's co-ops on you know on the Upper East Side over eight million. We have mm-hmm. a thirty percent increase in supply over last year, and that's really one of the few submarkets where we're seeing you know. Uh, less strong market indicators. Okay. So, you know, we can keep um, talking about many of the superlatives that define today's market because we're really, uh, especially in Manhattan, hitting the high on on a large number of metrics. Maybe we can mention a couple of others, which is, uh, I think you have, you've mentioned to me before we started the average sales price in the top 10% category. Yes. So the average sales price for luxury co-ops and condos, Mm -hmm. which is defined as the top 10% of all sales. Last year in 2014, it was 7.3 million from the $4.5 million average back in 2005, so just a decade ago. That's an average price, and that includes co-ops and condos. So, of course, again, skewed by some of that, you know, new development, high-end product. Okay, and uh, you also, I think, uh, wanted to talk about inventory, about how low it is today. Yes. I mean, inventory really, I mean, it's all about supply and demand. The market is strong today mostly because one of the the largest factors is because the supply is so low. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2014, our listing inventory topped out at 4,995 properties. That was a 20% increase from the prior year where it bottomed out in 2013. But despite that jump, it still stayed well below historical norms. Um, 2014 still stands as the fourth lowest on record. 24% 24% below the 16-year average of 9,081. And then additionally, we always we often talk in conjunction with listing inventory as the absorption rate. So that's defined as the number of months it takes to sell all inventory at the current pace, pace of sales. That number jumped to 4.7 months from 3.9, which was the low in 2013. But it was still roughly twice as fast as the 8.1-month average of the previous decade, and it was the second fastest in 16 years. So still, we have 
mm-hmm. really record low inventory numbers. That's amazing. Right. Maybe this is after this uh, overview of the market, maybe this is a good place to pause. And um, I'd like to ask you to uh, give us, uh, you know, some uh, information on your own background. Okay. And, you know, how did you decide to get into this uh, challenging and exciting <laughs> world of uh, Manhattan real estate? And um, any, any, any other information you want to give us about yourself? Well, it is challenging and exciting, which are the two things I like most in life. Um, it really hasn't been a straight line. You know, I graduated from UC Berkeley, and I yeah, had are you a, from California? Originally? I'm not from California. I'm actually from Indiana originally. Okay. Um, I wasn't born there, but I spent most of my childhood in Indiana. My father is uh, was a professor at the University of Notre Dame, um, an engineer. Um, and my mother was a teacher as well. She's a classics major. She taught Latin, so I had it from both sides. I had the science and the and the so liberal this, arts. So this should be helpful with your uh, Latin speaking customers. <laughs> my mother actually taught me, so I will. I'm a little okay. rusty, but okay. but I, I did learn a little bit of Latin along the way. Um, so I went to UC Berkeley, and after I graduated, I did a, a little stint in the fashion retail world down in LA. And but being the daughter of academics, I you know, I went, it was sort of in my nature to go back to grad school. And I got a master's in history. And, you know, I was in, I was actually in a PhD program. My husband, whom I met in college, was preparing to go to business school. And we just, it just didn't make sense for us both to continue on these sort of separate paths where it would be highly unlikely to be in the same city together Mm -hmm. with jobs. So I um, took my master's in history and I, um, went to work for a small environmental engineering consulting firm, which was my dad's sort of side business. Mm-hmm. Um, completely, you know, he had a, he had a ton of, uh, he had about 10, probably 10 employees, most of them ex-graduate students of his, and mostly doing some wastewater treatment work. And they had not, I don't think they had invoiced anybody in probably 10 months. Mm-hmm. So I came in and I said, okay, I'll, I'll clean it all up. I'll give you a year. I'll clean it all up. I'll develop an infrastructure. The one year, wait, one year turned into 15. <laughs> so I spent 15 years wow. basically. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, I started, I started in small and then gradually after about five years, my dad really had no interest in taking, running the business or, mm-hmm. or owning the business. So I took over completely at that point. And to make a very long story a little bit shorter, um, after about 15 years of doing this, I just decided we I just finished a very long government project, an eight-year-long project where I did a ton of audits. I was sitting alone in an office. All of my engineers were out in the field. And I just decided it was time to get out of this business right. where I didn't really see myself in the first place. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a wonderful run. I made sure all my employees were placed at, at new jobs. And then I found myself wondering what I should do next. Mm-hmm. And I decided to get my real estate license because my husband and I had lived in many different cities. We bought and sold in five of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we and have you a moved to Manhattan did you, in, in what year? We moved to Manhattan in 2000 when I was seven okay. months pregnant with my daughter. We had lived previously in Chicago where we owned. Mm-hmm. We bought our first apartment when we were 27 years old. Um, I've always been long real estate. We mm-hmm. bought and sold there. We moved um, to Manhattan for about a year, then back to San Francisco where we bought and then sold mm-hmm. and came back to New with, York. With good timing, <laughs> yes, of course, right? Very good timing. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, we both 
my husband was born and raised in California, I obviously in the mm-hmm. Midwest, and we both fell in love with New York. I just love the city I have. Um, it's just, it was a way, and real estate in New York was a way to sort of marry, it sort of married all of my interests, mm-hmm. my historical background, which had a lot to do with architecture, and my, the business I ran was mm-hmm. a green, had a, had a green right. building element to it. And, you know, I just, I just threw myself in when I, when I decided to do it, I decided I didn't want to be a cliche, you know, the, the mom who has a middle school kid and needs something Mm -hmm. to do. I went in like I had owned my own business before. This is my business. Mm -hmm. And I treat it as such. And I've been, you know, I've been, I'm proud to say I've been pretty successful. you've, uh, You've had an incredible run, um, you st- so you started with Warburg. I started with yeah. Warburg. Um, I actually interviewed at a few firms, but I started with Warburg because Fred Peters reminded me a little bit of my dad. He's, a, <laughs> he's super smart, um, mm-hmm. and you know, I really felt like he was fully invested in the business, in, the, in his company, and, mm-hmm. and very passionate. And I really, I had run a small business, mm-hmm. so I, the fact that he was so involved in this independently owned firm made me really want to be there. Mm -hmm. So that's why I picked Warburg. And since then I've just, you know, I've just, I've worked really hard. So maybe, I think maybe you're, you're being a bit modest by, by just saying you worked hard because you've, uh, you've logged in some very impressive numbers in the time that you've been doing this. Um, so since you're not volunteering this information, I have to pull it out of you. (laughs) Maybe you can tell us how, how well have you done and, and, uh, g- give us more information. Okay. Well, I, I started a little bit over four years ago, um, and I've done, I think, about 55 deals so far, about $70 million in sales. Those are the numbers. I um, My second year in the business, I won a, a Real Estate Board of New York Deal of the Year Award, which basically means I went above and beyond in a deal that was particularly difficult and complicated and mm-hmm. challenging and kind of threw everything at you. and. They, they award people for sort of thinking out of the box and, and, and bringing the deal to completion. And right now I'm getting my certification as a uh, New York residential specialist, which is a certification that only has less than 2% of all New York City brokers have. Um, to, take, to take the course, you need to have um, done at least 50 deals totaling at least $50 million in sales. Okay. So you're already starting from a... The brokers that are doing the course okay. are already And that, quite that applies to about 2% of the... Of the of 2% the, have the certification. You I need see. to okay. have... That's okay. the bare minimum. To, that's the, the barometer to enter the... Mm-hmm. To take the course. Okay. The course itself is... is I'm, I'm in the middle of it now. So mm-hmm. amazing instructors. And I'm, I'm learning that much more. I'm sort of, you know, bringing my knowledge to the next level. Okay. So I don't think it's hyperbola here if I say that I'm uh, speaking to a rising star in the <laughs> business. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I love, what I, I love what I do. I think I'm just really lucky um, to be in a business that both allows me to use my brain mm-hmm. um, and my, my appreciation for beautiful buildings and architecture, and at the same time, what it really is is a relationship business, and that's what I really missed in my old right. career. Mm-hmm. I really love the people that I meet every day in this business who are so interesting and from every single walk of life is really what keeps me going. Honestly, right. that's that's number one to me. You it's mentioned really architecture a, a couple of times, and um, I think I mentioned to you before we started that I had an interest in architecture, and, and that um, it's actually amazing um, 
walking through the city, um, not just looking at the landmark buildings and the well-known, you know, beautiful pieces of architecture that are that are well publicized, but even on a random street, you know, not even an avenue or a prominent uh, avenue, but even on, on on a side street, sometimes you discover some uh, some buildings that are not uh, not known, not very prominent, but with really stunning facades. And I think, um, you know, New York is really has this quality of, of you know, being, being beautiful kind of uh, in a postcard way when you capture it, let's say, across from the, from the East River or the Hudson River or through an aerial view. But it's also, in my opinion, incredibly beautiful um, in its details, which is, you know, when, you, when you're walking around and just looking up at, at uh, buildings that are, um, you know, that were built uh, either 20 years ago or, or 70 or 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what you're saying about architecture, definitely, uh, I, can, I can definitely understand what you're saying. Uh, you gave us a couple of personal details, and because I'm a runner, <laughs> am I allowed to mention that you're an avid runner? Of course. I ran, I mean, I ran in college. It's been a part of my life since I was in seventh grade. I think that was the first day I started to run and I have not stopped since. Have you, have you, have you closed any deals or at least uh, moved forward any deals by going on a run with a... You know, I haven't done that. I'm kind of, I'm a solitary runner. I really like, I don't run with music. I don't run with people. I have no problem running with people, but I, I really enjoy, that's sort of my one time when I don't have my devices with me. I don't have, you know, my kids mm-hmm. talking to me. I, I am completely, and it really, it, it organizes my day. Good way to think of it. Um, let's, um, let's talk a little bit more about the market. And we have to, of course, talk about the new high-rise towers that are going up, which are um, ultra-high luxury condominiums, um, which are uh, very tall and very, uh, very thin also in terms of uh, the ability to go very high while using a, a smaller and smaller land area. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing, actually, how narrow some of these lots are, and yet they're expected to shoot up, you know, 1,400, 1,500 feet up. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the, the financials or the you know, the dollars that are involved in some of these towers. There are two of them that are being talked within this group, which are already built. One of them is 157, um, and the other one is uh, on Park Avenue. Is it 432? 432 Park. 432 Park Avenue, which topped uh, not so long ago. And there are a number of others, right, Mm -hmm. in the works? Yes. I mean, you know, I want to back up just a tad because in my business I get asked, almost daily, you know, how's the market? How's the market? What's happening in the market? And increasingly, it's just getting much harder to define the market as a whole. So I always say, well, which market are you talking about? So you're asking me about the super tall and skinny market. The two super tall and skinny market we read about every day. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's, that's not really the market that most of us live and work in and buy and sell. People, people are fascinated by it because first of all, it's so visible. Of course, and, you can't and, miss and it. And also, you know, you, you know, because there's so much wealth involved in the yes. not only in building the building, but also in, in the the sales figures that are being uh, yes. put forth. 
So yes, I mean, we all know that this market shattered records per price for square foot. We all know about the $100.4 million paid for the duplex, right, at 157, West 57th, otherwise known as 157. And that was the highest price ever paid, right, for a single residence in New York City. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Knight Frank's Prime International Residential Index. That, uh, I'm not, I'm not yeah, familiar. It include, basically, it's a, it's a huge report that includes performance data for 100 of the world's key luxury city and second home markets. Okay. Of those 100 cities, New York City saw the biggest growth in prime real estate prices in 2014. So even, grows, even better than London. Yes. 18.8% okay. it grew last okay. year compared to the prior year. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, this market's skewing the average price per square foot, as we've talked about several times. And we have the two towers you talked about, 157, 432, coming very soon. We have 111 West 57th um, and the Xtel's uh, Nordstrom Tower, which is 217 West 57th. So 111 West 57th will have 60 apartments, right? 46 in the tower above the landmark Steinway Hall, and then 40, 14 at the base. Mm -hmm. They're going to start at $14 million. So the lowest okay. price in that building will be $14 million. And there will be several market, several apartments marketed at over $100 million. So within that, that one building, 111 West 57, there will be several, several units, that each of which will be marketed at over $100 million. Yes. Okay. Yes. More than one. I don't know right. how many, but okay. what we're hearing is gonna be, there's going to be... Right more than one marketed at 100 million. And then we have Extel's Nordstrom Tower, mm -hmm. right? Where the spire, the spire there will reach 1,775 feet, which is just one foot shy of the World Trade Center. Oh, that's, so, that's interesting. <laughs> possibly right. paying homage to right. <laughs> one World Trade to and keep it a little that's bit right. below that. So it's gonna, these are four huge towers, right? In a four block radius. Right. So yeah, that's a, that's a good point you're making, which is that they're mainly concentrated around 57th Street yes. or Central Park South. Right. There's also one on uh, Central Park South, which is 220 Central Park South, which yes. is another Robert Stern building. Uh, the architect who designed 15 Central Park West, right. Right, which was enormously successful. Yes, very. Uh, I, I, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I saw that uh, sales there exceeded $2 billion in the aggregate. Amazing. Right. Yes, it's done. It's performed well from day one. The resales have performed very well. Mm -hmm. um, but New Yorkers are bought those apartments. Those are, those, yeah. so there are, okay, whereas the, more of the new ones are perhaps more targeted towards foreign, foreign investors. Okay. I mean, two, 220 Central Park South is on the park, and mm -hmm. those are actually selling quite, quite well. It's on the Even park. though I think they haven't, uh, they're still below ground, right? Right. Uh, yes. I mean, the, the right. Exactly. I mean, that, that, These are pre-sales. Yeah. yeah. That, that explains. You know, that, that's another prices. data point in terms of how uh, how incredibly incredibly strong the market is. That uh, I mean, I know it's not unusual for a new building to have pre-sales, yeah. but perhaps not with that kind of dollar value. Right. No. Yes. I mean, uh, well, <clears throat> one fifty-seven and four thirty-two Park too were selling before. Okay. Before they had built up yet, right, but right. Um, 220 Central Park South, I think, is just, it's one of the rare buildings that's actually on the mm -hmm. park. You know, these others are on 57th Street, right. so until you get to a certain floor height, your right. your view is not the top right. floor. And there's something so. about, you know, the Robert Stern, you know, given the success of 15 Central Park uh, West 
And I've seen pictures of, of the new building, mm -hmm. and they're, you know, in my very personal opinion, very attractive. Uh, he, very he, know, he knows how to, to build, I mean, right. for New Yorkers, too. I mean, he has a new project over, I mean, I do a lot of my business on the Upper East Side, so mm -hmm. I'm, all, I'm very interested in what's coming on, on the Upper East Side in terms of, you know, condo and new product, because, you know, more and more people, I think, want condos over right. the hassle of dealing with co-ops. He has a new one at 20 East End Ave, which is at... 80th Street, and it's absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, beautiful. And they're not 5,000 a foot, like the tall right. towers. They're right. more affordable right. in the, like, the 2,400 a foot range. You know, in so. terms of the, we'll, we'll say just a couple more words about the, the towers, but, um, you know, I was reading that um, the way we were, they were, they were able to, to build these towers to be that, that narrow and that tall is... Um, thanks to some technological breakthroughs. And, um, you know, in particular, in the case of 157 and 432 Park, uh, I guess, uh, especially in the latter case, they were using um, a type of concrete which was um, three to four times stronger than concrete, you know, than your typical concrete that's used in, in, in most buildings. Um, and I, and I think that's, uh, I think it's 14,000 PSI concrete, which is pound per square inch. You know, how much, how much wow. can it withstand mm -hmm. in terms of compression? And your typical concrete is three to 6,000 PSI. And the 14,000, I believe, uh, I don't think I'm mistaken here, but I believe it was used the first time in the New World Trade Center. So, you know, there were developments with the New World Trade Center building that are now being uh, exploited, so to speak, through through other projects, yeah. and that make these super towers, excuse me, super towers possible. Um, one last data point, which is an interesting piece of trivia: if you think of the aspect ratio of a building as the ratio of its width to its height, when you looked at the uh, the previous World Trade Center, the Twin Towers, mm -hmm. they had an aspect ratio of one to seven meaning that the height was seven times the width. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you this because it is, it's going to give you an idea of how, how narrow these new towers are in comparison. Um, in the case of 111 West 57th, which right, you mentioned, which really the ratio there is going to be 23 to 1. Wow. So you're talking about, uh, in terms of the profile of the tower, if you took the, you know, it's three times higher for the, for the, same, <laughs> yeah. the same width. That's uh, that's as if, in terms of the the slenderness of it, if you if you looked at the old uh, twin towers and and you narrowed their width by two thirds, but but you kept their height. height. That's, that's basically the building. You well, you can with. see there's been renderings <coughs> that have been you know they project the rent. The, oh yeah, the a height. picture of the entire right. midtown. Just yeah. a, right. just I mean changing. Right. I mean these are just they're just changing the entire skyline of right. Manhattan, and you can see them from anywhere you go. I mean every showing mm -hmm. I have from. You know, Sutton Place, downtown, uptown, right, right. you're always, you can see them from, 432 you can see from anywhere, and that's going to be even taller and right. skinnier. Right. Yeah, 111 will be taller, yes. you're right. Should we talk about other other segments? Uh, maybe, uh, you know, downtown, I think you mentioned before we started about Nolita, what, what's, what's going on there? Yeah, I mean... Um, or other similar areas. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, like I said, uh, touched on a little bit earlier, that... The market is just really hard to characterize as a whole because there's just a lot of different things going on in different segments of the market. So maybe we should talk a little bit about 
you know, where there's strength and where there's weakness. Um, mm -hmm. Overall, if you want to talk about the market as a whole, as of today, at the end of the first quarter, you know, supply is down overall 3.7%, but you can really see the differences between the lower end market compared to the higher end market. Properties below 600,000, for example, I mean, crazy, these one bedroom apartments have no inventory, um, are down 28.8%. Right, and then as the you inventories. get the inventories, okay. and yeah. as you as you tick up and you get to above ten million, we see an eighteen point one percent increase over last year. Mm -hmm. um, you asked about you asked about downtown. Downtown is under two million is strong everywhere, pretty much every mm -hmm. market location. There's just so little inventory below two million dollars, um, but downtown in particular, even in the you know three to four bedroom range, there's almost there's the inventory is crushingly low. Um, condos in the five to ten million dollar range downtown, we see huge numbers. I mean, we see average price per square foot is up eighteen point eight percent in Tribeca. Soho's up twenty seven point three percent. The West Village is up thirteen point eight percent. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that there's just so few condos downtown. Um, yeah, Nolita. Um, there was a property on Mott um, that was just built last year, and now we have Tandao Ando's new, exciting new project. Tandao Ando, the yeah. Japanese architect. Yes, okay. yes, very exciting. I'm okay. very excited to, to see his, his first ever standalone residential mm -hmm. project in New York City, which will be at 152 Elizabeth Street, which is, okay. and that's right on the, that's on the, the fringe of mm -hmm. Nolita. <laughs> um, Half he's going to have I think it's seven floors, and they're going to be ha some half floor apartments and some full floor. Okay. The half floors will be about six million dollars, and the full floors will be fifteen. And then there's I think there's going to be a penthouse for you mm. know penthouse price okay. 30, 35 million something like that. But I think the you know I think particularly the half floor the six million dollar apartments are going to be very very attractive to mm -hmm. people downtown. There's I just sold at thirty five West Fifteenth Street which is a mid-block, somewhat boutique condominium mm -hmm. um, where prices are trading around 2600 a foot, which is quite actually quite affordable. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's in a place where there are just so few condos. And, right. and the rest of the housing stock downtown is not just co-op. There's also a lot of rentals, especially in the village. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult to find. Right. You mentioned uh, Tadao Ando. I mean, it's interesting that now in the city... Um, we're, we seem to be getting more and more architecture by, by big-name architects. Mm -hmm. You know, certainly the towers that we mentioned, you know, you have Robert Stern, you have um, um, Raphael Vignoli, who is the architect of 432 Park Avenue, and Foster and Partners, who's uh, <clears throat> designing 100 East 53rd. And you have, you know, the project on the west side by, uh, you know, the Pyramid, by big, I don't know if you're familiar with. I'm that. not so familiar. Yeah, I don't with that. know. I think that's residential also, which is uh, which recent. It's not very tall, but it's on the West Side Highway. Um, so that's that's an interesting development. Which is another that, area that's getting more developed. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So inventory is low. Um, you know, demand is high. What do you think is driving this demand? Yeah, I mean, demand would. Demand is. Other than the foreign money that we already discussed. Right. I mean, demand. Demand. Demand overall in the market is at the end of at the end of the first quarter. If we look at 
and demand, the way we measure demand, we should back up a little bit more. The way we measure demand is pending uh, or contracts that have been signed. So if we look at you know, contracts that have been signed as of today compared to last year, it's up 35.4%. So the strength here mm. is really across right. most of the price points, too, but it's more significant in the price points below. But is this million. a demographic uh, result of growing demographics in the city, or is it, you know, Wall Street, is, is, is bonuses are higher? Or what, what? Uh, I don't, bonuses weren't so much higher on Wall Street this year. I think what's happened is the, the Wall Street... Wall Streeters who got their, bon their, their, money, their comp mostly in deferred comp mm -hmm. several years ago are now, okay. I now have money that has vested. And interest so. rates are low, which also doesn't hurt, of yeah, course. Yeah, I mean, interest rates are low. That affects more of that bottom, that lower end market, mm -hmm. you know, people that are just getting into the market for whom an eighth of a point makes a very big difference. Right. Um, for the higher, the higher end, you know, the, the over, you know, three, four, five million were not quite as affected by but that. those people who buy in the, let's say, five million plus, mm -hmm. uh, do, do many of them take mortgages or are most of these sales on a cash We're seeing basis? a lot of cash purchases. Actually, okay. we're even seeing a lot of cash purchases under two million, honestly. Right. It's about, right now, it's about, as of the end of 2014, it was about half Half of okay. buyers purchased with cash, half with mm. financing. Um, but we're seeing, you know, even in the the, the 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 frustration. I think you started the whole conversation and said there's it can be very frustrating this market. But for people that are buyers that are first time home buyers and are trying to find their buy their first two bedroom apartment for you know one point million, one point seven million, they're having and they need financing. They're having a really hard time because. There's so little inventory, so you 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 put a mark, you put an apartment on the market in the say one for one point five for two two bedrooms, and you're getting sixty seventy people at the open house, mm -hmm. and a lot of some of you those mentioned the recent listing that you had where you yeah I have one I just put on a, a three bedroom for just over two, which is also a very strong over, market over two million just okay. over two million, and what's happening is that the for, the, the young, you know, working to, you know, dual working family with a small child or one on the way or coming to buy this apartment as their first home. And they're getting outbid by pied-a-terre buyers who mm -hmm. have a stronger balance sheet, especially if it's in a co-op that makes right, a difference, right. um, and cash. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, sellers are have a choice mm -hmm. and they're picking, you know, the all cash, mm -hmm. better balance sheet. Right. And so it's been, it's very frustrating for buyers to time and time again see the apartment they want, which comes on so infrequently. Mm -hmm. And then once they get there, there's 50 other people who right. also are. By the way, speaking of people who finance, who take out a mortgage mm -hmm. to buy, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that we've, uh, in terms of median price and, and uh, average price, that we've exceeded mm -hmm. the previous peak of 2006 or 2007. Right. Um, you know, that's true in nominal terms in the sense that the value of the, of the apartment sold. But if you look at the ability to, to uh, the, afford, the affordability mm -hmm. uh, aspect, um, back then interest rates were, for a 30-year mortgage, were closer to 6%. And right now they're closer to 4%. So, you know, on that $2 million, you know, the mortgage would not be $2 million, but let's say it's whatever it is, uh, $500,000 or $700,000, um, uh, you, you're able to finance, thanks to uh, lower interest rates now, a property that's 20% or at least to, to, to service a mortgage that's 20% higher. Right. 
now than, than it was in 2006. So, you know, arguably, if, if uh, I'm not making this case, but if somebody wanted to make the case that the next peak will be equivalent to the last peak, then they would, they would look at that and they would say, well, maybe we have another 10 to 20% upside in the market. You know, hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully more for for right. people who invest right. in property. But if someone is trying to make the case that you know we, we're in, in towards the end of, of this cycle, you know, there's uh, thanks to lower interest rates, there's still upside. There is still, yeah. Do you, do you feel that way? Is it your sense that prices can still move? up from, from where we are here in the, in the next year or so? Yes, I mean, I, I again, depends what market you're talking about. I mean, I think there's definitely going to be, I, I believe that there will be some downward pressure on prices in the super tall towers because, you know, we, we see the top the tops of the towers selling out first and then there's been there's been stalling. Really. There's been a bit of a slowdown been in a, sales. Definitely a bit of slowdown in sales. I mean, 157 sold very few apartments last year and con- went to contract in very few apartments right. last year. And I think they're, they're around 75% sold. But if they continue the same pace of sales they did last year, it will take nine years for them complete, right. to completely sell out. And now we have 432 Park also mm-hmm. stalling a little bit. Um, it's hard to get exact numbers on those because right. you don't, yeah, you don't really have that information. But, and then we have two other big tall towers coming. Mm-hmm. So, so that that's one market, and right. then, um, but you know what? The other parts of the market, the the under five million, under four million. Um, if you take out the co-ops on the Upper East Side that are sort of sitting, if they're not, mm-hmm. it's very it's very driven by price and condition. Those apartments need to be priced perfectly, prop you know properly, and if they need, if if it's not an apartment that's perfectly renovated and shows very well, they need to be staged. Staging is becoming more and more important. People decide within two seconds looking at an apartment if they want it or if, if they don't want it. They don't right. necessarily decide they're going to buy it, but mm-hmm. they definitely know if they're not going to buy right. it. And if you're priced too high, they come in and they look for things that are wrong with the apartment mm-hmm. instead of things right. they like about the apartment. And once they're gone, they're not really coming mm-hmm. back. And that's what I'm really seeing a lot of is buyers just decide they're not, they don't want it. Even if the price comes down, they, all they remember is they didn't like it for some mm-hmm. reason and they don't really want to revisit it. So it's really important to get the price right, especially in those. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and the market that's doing quite well, you know, under 2 million, I just don't see that really slowing down. I mean, which it's probably well, not there you have you have other other new drivers, uh, maybe not in the next year, but on on a multi-year basis. You know, one of them being uh, the city's push to uh, kind of uh, attract uh, more engineers. You know, with the, with the Cornell Tech okay. campus and and similar initiatives from. Uh, uh, regarding Columbia and uh, NYU, correct? Yeah, let, I mean, let's talk a little bit about that. You you asked to a little bit ago about um, what other factors could be driving the strength in the market. I mean, supply and demand are taken together, mm-hmm. as they often sure, are, right? Yeah. And so low supply, high demand equals a very strong market, leverage in the, in the seller's favor. Demographic growth and employment picture in New York City, too, mm-hmm. is also quite, quite strong. I mean, New York City added 105,000 jobs in 2014, which was the most jobs we ever added. Mm-hmm. Um, we have more people than ever, 4.1 million fully employed in the city. Um, we've really surpassed, you know, Manhattan has surpassed the U.S. And, in, its, in terms and, of the job growth. In terms of the job growth, we, 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 we recovered mm-hmm. from the recession right. much faster than the rest of the country. Right. Um, and the Cornell campus is 
I think, just very, very fascinating to mm-hmm. me, especially since I have I come from a kind of a math and science background mm-hmm. as well. I mean, and it and my and it also is interesting from a historical perspective. I mean, back in if we want to go all the way back, since I'm a historian, um, to seventeen, you know, the late seventeen hundreds, um, few Americans lived in urban settlements. Right, we were our coastal cities and seaports were what anchored us in trade and commerce. And then we moved to manu- you know, we moved to more to, um, you know, industrial, mm-hmm. right? So oil made Houston, steel made Pittsburgh, precious metals drove prospectors to San Francisco. And now we're moving to a information and tech in, in services technology right. economy. So where talent completely drives yeah, so, so it's very much oriented to intellectual property. Yes, I mean, Stanford and Caltech yeah. built mm-hmm. Silicon Valley, right? right? MIT, the and professors. Stanford, yeah, Stanford. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, MIT professors and students have created tons of mm-hmm. companies and and hundreds of thousands of dollars in, or hundreds and thousands of jobs mm-hmm. in Boston alone. Right. So um, this new tech campus is really Bloomberg's brainchild. Right. Um, you know, he really saw that we needed to change, transform our economy here mm-hmm. to get it to get companies starting and growing. Um, so we launched this economic development initiative, which was a uh, is a uh, financed by both private and and, and public entities. Um, he got institutions from many countries: U.S., Canada, Finland, India, South Korea, Switzerland, the mm-hmm. U.K. They all expressed interest in this project. And in 2011, he tapped Cornell University mm-hmm. and Technion Israel, which is mm-hmm. like the MIT of Israel, um, to build a two million, two million square foot campus on Roosevelt Island, which broke ground just this past January and will be finished in 2017, they project. Um, NYU, too, is leading, is leading a consortium of global universities to establish a center for urban progress in science in, in Brooklyn. Carnegie Mellon establishing a presence in Brooklyn Yard, and then we have Columbia expanding mm-hmm. its you know engineering school. So all these initiatives have doubled the number of applied scientists right. faculty. Well, I was now. I was thrilled personally that Cornell uh, got that initial mandate because I'm myself uh, engineering graduate from Cornell. So. And my brother actually has a master's in mechanical engineering from uh, Cornell as well. So, <laughs> well, it'll, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see the impact this has on the real estate market. Because on the one hand, you could say that um, historically, um, you know, many areas of engineering, not all, but many, have have been less. Uh, you know, people in these fields have, have earned less money generally than, let's say, people in finance. Um, but that could change, you know, if if the Cornell campus is intended to become um, a way to seed uh, a lot of startups the way it's happened in Silicon Valley, then, then you're talking about uh, the potential for wealth creation that's significant. I think that's absolutely the right. intent. I mean, it was a $150 million public investment, mm-hmm. and it is meant to generate, I think, hundreds of thousands of jobs and a ton of money for the city. I mean, I think the idea is that companies will establish themselves here mm-hmm. in the city and and bring talent in. Right. Um, and the way that Silicon Valley was built from Stanford, right. Caltech, you know. Mm, certainly something to watch very closely. Yes, I don't know where they're all going to live. I mean, that's, right. you know, we need... 
Well, that's that's going to have to go back to the creativity of, of developers. Right. And, uh, you know, there are other areas. Um, you know, Manhattan certainly will be a place, but uh, you could say that Long Island City, which is across on the other side. Of which the, is already starting to right. boom. Queens, areas mm -hmm. in Queens right now. I mean, uptown Manhattan, which has already seen enormous growth, mm -hmm. I think is just going to keep growing. I mean, I think that's one of the, the areas where I still see a little bit of value left. It's already had such big growth already, but... Um, I, it's inevitable that every the outer boroughs are also going to benefit from right. this as well. Right, that would be uh, certainly a big positive. Mm -hmm. Do you want to add anything else before we wrap up? And um, just, I would just caution people to to take all of the media attention to the big tall towers with a grain of salt, mm -hmm. um, and understand that that's not. The market in New York City, right, it's, right. you know, it's exciting and we see the towers mm -hmm. from every angle, but it's really, what, what really makes this job so exciting mm -hmm. to me is that there are so many different sub-markets in this mm -hmm. city and... You sent me a picture, which I, I, I can't remember if uh, you put it on your website or not, of, the, of a view that you took from uh, 432 Park. Right, and you know what, I not, not to bring you back to the towers, to towers. I just remember that... Well, right. I mean, I toured the... Which is, I, which is uh, needless to say, an incredible view. It is an incredible view. I mean, it, it's from the the 1,200 feet up in the sky, right, right. you know, looking is at it Manhattan. Is still on your website? It still is on okay. my website, yes. Which is, a, it's a good time to mention that uh, you have your website, which is lisailarson.com. Yes. Correct? Yes. And uh, I'm sorry I brought you back to the towers, but I, I, no, I remember, that's okay. I remember that's that okay. photo. But the, the message is well received that they do not represent the market overall and that uh, in order to really understand the market, you really, uh, a buyer should uh, be on the ground talking to many different people such as yourself. And um, if you have nothing to add, I think we'll wrap it up here. Yeah, no, I it's been wonderful. This is thank you so much for having me. I'm honored thank you, to thank you for coming to have talked to you today and thank you very much, Lisa. So this was Lisa Larson. You can reach her at Warburg Realty uh, or through her website lisailarson.com. Uh, thank you very much, Lisa Larson. I am Sammy Karam. Thank you for joining us.